0: We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. How many of you have watched the film Poverty, Inc.? If you haven't watched the film, I do recommend the film, even if you disagree with its premise and conclusions, because the film raises some important questions about how anti-poverty initiatives can often have unintended consequences, which then can create greater dependency rather than truly empowering people in local communities and local economies to improve their situation. My guest today is part of an international organization that really strives to empower both the people they are serving and the local economy within which they are serving. My guest is Josh Martin. He is the U.S. Development Director for ADES, A-D-E-S. Odys, in short, is an international nonprofit that produces energy-efficient stoves in Madagascar and encourages the reuse of renewable energy by saving large quantities of wood and charcoal. I think you'll be really impressed with both how holistic they are and how they're helping to protect the environment while tackling poverty at the same time. Enjoy today's show. Well, Josh, it is great to have you on the show today. First of all, congratulations again on getting the overall award winner for the .org Impact Award for 2021. Well done. I know that they surveyed a lot of nonprofits. And so that was a pretty prestigious award. So, congratulations to you and your entire team. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. It's great having the show. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's fun. I've had a couple of now guests from the.org impact 2121 group of uh, leaders and people that won different categories within that overall award from 2021. It was fun being a judge on that panel. That was really, for me, a treat. But again, it was really difficult because there were so many good nonprofits doing great work. And your organization's one of those. And so that's what I want to talk about today is we want to give you an opportunity to really share all about Audis. And when my listeners see this in my show notes and hear that word, you're not going to put it together. It looks like it's spelled A-D-E-S, but it's pronounced Audis. Again, they're based out of Switzerland. And Josh is here to talk us all about what this organization is, and why it's in existence, like what its mission's all about. Now, you're the U.S. representative, as I understand it. That's correct. Yeah, great. So you're calling in from California, which is fun. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm going to give a quick overview. And again, if you're listening to this, you'll find more information and links in the show notes. You can always click on those to find out more about AUDIS directly. But just in a real quick summary, AUDIS produces energy-efficient cookers in Madagascar, specifically, and encourages the use of renewable energy. That's the bottom line. So the use of climate-friendly solar cookers and energy-saving stoves that just save large quantities of wood and charcoal that would otherwise be used. And so this, of course, in turn, protects the climate, protects the biodiversity and the health, all while contributing positively to the fight against poverty. So they're doing a lot of things in one fell swoop, so to speak. So tell us more about how Audis got first started and why is it focused so much on stoves and cookers? All right, Rob. Well, Audis has a a
1: three-pillar approach to the deforestation issue in Madagascar. So what we do is, like you said, we build solar stoves and fuel-efficient stoves that help to reduce the demand for wood as a cooking fuel. We also have a reforestation program that has planted over 500,000 trees in Madagascar. And we also have an environmental education program that teaches children and adults about the importance of their forests and how to respect their forests. I was just going to say, although our primary investment in Madagascar is to manufacture stoves, we also realize that without these other two aspects, the reforestation and the education, they both have to work in order to make the environment restored.
0: Yeah, well said. I like your holistic approach. Now, let's talk about the stove specifically, because there's some interesting things you're doing with that. Tell, again, for those who are not familiar with Audis's work, or even just the idea of how these stoves work, how do exactly these stoves work? And what do you do in terms of the training aspect uh, for those who receive these stoves? So, uh, we have uh, three mobile vehicles. In addition, we have
1: eight branches and eight sales centers that actually are travel. Well, the mobile centers travel throughout Madagascar to do both sales and education of what we're doing in Madagascar. So they go into these rural villages and they talk to people and they show movies about climate change. They, they show movies about the stove production and the benefits of, of owning an auto stove. And so what happens then is these people are able to buy these stoves at a reduced price. And then they're able to save a significant amount at least 50% of the fuel compared to what they're traditionally use in their traditional cook stoves.
0: Yeah, so impressive. Well, and I like the fact that, as you mentioned before, you're trying to do this threefold approach. Your organization is tackling the climate change problem and you're seeking to reduce carbon emissions by focusing primarily on solar energy. What have been some of the results so far of the impact you've had? I know this has been around for a while, so yeah, maybe share about that.
1: Yeah, so Audis actually started in 2001, so we've been around for 20 years. and since. Inception, we have actually saved two and a half million tons of CO2 from being emitted into the environment. So, what happens is these stoves are so efficient. Like I said, the base cook stove that we have saves at least 50% of the fuel. If you go into the solar stoves, of course, without using anything but the sun's energy, they're saving 100% and they are not emitting any carbon to the environment. So, if you go into, say, for example, the The schools that we're working in, so we're building industrial kitchens in schools. So where they're feeding a thousand or more kids a day, those stoves are actually saving 80% of the fuel compared with traditional methods.
0: That is remarkable. And I think what I love, there's so many things that I love about what you're doing and how you're going about it. Not only are you saving the environment, right? That's a huge, big piece of what you're offering. But because these stoves typically would take charcoal or wood, as I understand it, you know, Uh, family members, uh, people that are responsible for cooking or responsible for keeping these stoves working, they're spending a long time typically before you all came, right? Walking down or going somewhere to get the wood or get the charcoal. So now you've saved time, right? So they have more time now to invest in their micro business perhaps, or perhaps, you know, working at the school. So tell maybe a little bit more about the human impact in terms of the time savings that these stoves have provided.
1: That's true. Uh, So we've calculated with from talking with stove owners about their savings in time or or money, but we've talked to them about how much time they spent collecting wood. And it actually comes out to about 500 hours per year per family. And so with that savings of time, then like you said, they're able to spend that either with their family, concentrate more time on their family or concentrate on working on another business. And so, and actually for those people who burn charcoal, actually spend about one third of their income for fuel. A 50% savings is quite a significant savings for people, which allows them to have money for other things, other necessities, such as either food or education or even healthcare. So as the resources become fewer and fewer over time, this cost is going up and the savings for them is getting to be even greater. So the auto stove is becoming much
0: more effective for these people. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Arts Midwest. They have launched a new podcast called Filling the Well. The Filling the Well podcast has been created to nourish, provoke, and inspire. Hear from creative change as they share their takes on how to shift power, avoid burnout, build community, share resources, and advocate for support. You can visit artsmidwest.org/fillingthewell. Again, that's artsmidwest.org/ filling the well. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. That's incredible for my listeners to think about that, that you're you're literally changing their lives in terms of how they were spending their time, how they're spending their money, the percentage of what they were putting into these stoves, and then, of course, the environment being saved all these carbon emissions. I mean, it really is a holistic approach to this big problem that happens in so many of these developing countries Now, I also know you really value the importance of empowering the people in the communities in which you serve. And what I want to do to talk a little bit about this is I've had conversations with other guests on this show who oversee international nonprofits like your own. And one of the concerns is always this question of how do we truly provide help without hurting these local economies? with what we're doing internationally specifically. Now, a classic example is this movie that many people, you probably have watched the movie called Poverty Incorporated. And the overall idea of that film was that it featured certain nonprofits and government agencies, typically from America or other Western countries. And in the process of trying to help these local economies that say that went through a major drought or they had a major national disaster, What would happen is they actually created dependence on American companies and or money or Western countries and Western money in general. And there wasn't really this approach to empower the local economy or the local people, the communities to really, in a sense, you know, kind of get them out of the crisis situation, but then to empower them to take care of themselves. In in other words, to empower them to really have their own business, you know, and to manage this on their own. So how do you manage that? Because you're providing some wonderful skill sets. You're providing these stoves. I know at the same time one of your visions, though, and your values, I should say, is to empower these communities. So, how have you gone about doing that, and finding that fine line of helping without hurting? Well, my wife and I actually watched Poverty Inc. last night on Amazon because
1: I wanted to, I wanted to compare how Audis relates to the different people who were talking in the movie about the downsides of these aid organizations. So, as I would listen to these people talk about the aid organizations. I would try to think in my mind about how does Otis fit into this picture? and How do we relate to these complaints that these people had? And when I really think about it, Audis really is not an aid organization. We're, more of a, we're run more like a business. So we're a small business in Madagascar that receives funding from donations. And that's kind of the way I like to look at it. So what we do is we provide jobs for people to manufacture stoves, so, we have over 200 employees in Madagascar. We also have resellers who are basically the voice of AUDIS in both rural and urban areas, where they deliver the message that AUDIS has about trying to preserve the forest, trying to reduce the demand for wood as a cooking fuel. And then they also sell the stoves that we have. And so, these people who are resellers, most of them, 80% of them, are women who are gaining money that they didn't otherwise have, you know, whether it's a first or a second job, and it's maybe in as a supplement to another business that they may have. But these people are really seeing the benefits of an autist cooker and how that really the reduction of the use of wood can put money in their pockets. And at the same time, it also is helping to preserve the environment that they, where they live. It's a win-win for everybody and and the fact that we are providing the financial let's call it supplement because we do need to supplement the cost of the stove production so currently the cost of the production is greater than what we charge people in Madagascar and no we don't we don't give we don't give stoves away for free we we learned long ago that we cannot do that and that the stoves don't get used unless there's some somebody has some skin in the game unless they they have some financial investment in
0: them. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay.
1: And with that, then, then the people begin to understand about the benefits that they're receiving with the stove financially. And it just seems to work. And, and the proof is in the pudding in the sense that our sales of stoves continues to increase year after year. Just from two years ago, the sales of stoves has doubled. So we are producing this year, we're, we're expecting about 80,000 stoves this year.
0: Wow, eighty thousand. So, okay. So, one of the questions that I was going to ask you too was: you've obviously focused your efforts in Madagascar. Do you have plans to expand into other countries, perhaps in Africa, or maybe in other developing countries?
1: At this time, no. There is so much work to be done in Madagascar. Madagascar is actually down to less than ten percent of its primary forests, and there's a lot of work to be done to teach people about, you know, again, the training about the importance of their forests and trying to be able to convince them to change their cooking habits. Set at, up to this point, the people in Madagascar have had no alternative method of cooking. It's just the traditional campfire-style stove, and that's all they've had, either charcoal or wood. And so what we're doing is we're trying to provide them that option to give them that benefit, of course, of the cost and such. But it, it's going to take time, and so we have a long ways to go in Madagascar.
0: Well, and you know, I like, I'll just say just kudos to you that you know what your mission is and you're sticking with your mission. You don't have mission drift or or try to expand too quickly. So honestly, I really appreciate that answer that you're really focused on really transforming Madagascar. And it sounds like there is still a major need there and you have a long way to go. So, um, but great job. You're making great progress. And now I want to shift a little bit to how you've gone about leading in this climate that we're in. And before the show started, of course, we briefly talked about COVID and how um, with the .org Impact Awards and, and those meetings were all during the, the height of the COVID pandemic. So I'm curious, I've been asking a few of my guests, it's been a while since I've asked that somebody, but I thought for you, you're working with an international organization and COVID really has made challenges for all of us in the nonprofit sector. And part of that is how do you lead in a crisis? And I think added complexity for you all is that how do you lead in a crisis when your primary mission is an international service or nonprofit? That adds to, you know, when you can't really travel very well or it's very difficult to travel because of COVID. So one of the things I've asked my leaders on the show before have been this. How do you, on the one hand, harness the right amount of energy, turning fear into positive action, right? For those you're leading in your organization and those you're serving. And with that, you're going to have stress, right? Every nonprofit leader that is leading any kind of organization. You're going to have stress as you lead. That's part of the job, right? At the same time, I feel like a lot of us have experienced more stress than normal during this COVID pandemic. And so all of a sudden you get to this stress level where it becomes no longer a quote doable stress. And now it turns into a destructive stress because of whatever you get COVID yourself or you're so afraid of getting COVID or there's other health issues that you bump into or there's a logistic issue, you know, whatever issues you bump into, stress can quickly turn from doable To destructive stress very quickly. How do you define each one of these stress mechanisms in your own organization? And then how do you model for your team how to manage that stress? I know it's a big question, but I think I want to dive into that leadership side of things as you're leading this growing international organization.
1: Well, I can tell you that COVID did really create some stress in in Madagascar and with AUDIS. But we dealt with the situations. And I think one of the key things is communication in our organization uh, transparency and communication. And so, first off, we did distribute masks to all of our employees and we created a, a safe working environment for them. So, just to make sure that they were safely spaced apart and, and we were working safely with them. But some of the challenges we had were more technical issues, for example, transportation issues. So, we continued to work during, during COVID in Madagascar, transportation is limited in Madagascar. People don't have a lot of money so that there wasn't a lot of transportation between different areas. And so COVID early on was not quite the issue it was here in the US or in Europe. So what the issues we dealt with were things like transportation of our product and how were we able to, to transport product without endangering the lives of people. And so what we did was we would make smaller deliveries using smaller vehicles, not making contact with so many people at a time. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and then other issues we had were were supply chain issues. We're currently expanding our metal factory into the capital, Antananarivo, and the fact that we had delays for production in the in the metal factory to complete that capital investment actually delayed us for six months, but. The fact that we were able to communicate and were transparent with both our board and our donors really was um, something that they realized was uh, an acceptable delay. I also wanted to talk about um, the fact that even in the last year or so, we've actually hired four new managers in, in new positions in Madagascar. And all these are local Malagasy people who have filled these, these middle management positions for positions like human resources. Finance, uh, marketing, and communications, and actually the head of uh, the stove production in Madagascar.
0: Fantastic.
1: Great. So, uh, this change really, although it wasn't directly related to COVID, it involved a lot of training in areas such as um, leadership training, IT, things like language barriers. You know, the, our group in Switzerland speaks English, I mean, speaks English and German and French. So there's some language issues. And then and so we were dealing with issues like that in Madagascar. But the destructive stress you were talking about never really came to head in in Madagascar in Otis. And I, I really do believe that it was partly because of the open communication and the planning that we did early on.
0: Well, it sounds like you've really navigated through that successfully and liked how you adapted well to the circumstances. And good for you too. During COVID, you stayed on site, so to speak, in the country of Madagascar. So that's impressive. And then finally, I love the fact that you've hired locals, you know, to really run the organization. I think that's so, going back to that movie, Poverty Inc., that so many of these aid organizations did not do that. They more kind of came in from a a different country, America or another Western country, and uh, didn't really engage the local population and the local community to really run the organization after they leave. So well done on that. Okay, staying with the theme of leadership, I do believe that good leaders of nonprofits will define what a, quote, win will look like for their organization. And this gives the organization focus, it gives it clarity and intentionality. When you know what the win is for your organization, it really helps everyone to kind of stay focused on what you're doing. So for Otis, what does the win look like for your organization? And maybe more broadly, how do nonprofits, how can nonprofits get better at defining their win more clearly And why is it even important to define what a win is? Oh, I think wins are incredibly important because I've
1: found in the nonprofit world that you have a lot of highs and then you have a lot of lows where there's this lull of nothing happening for a little while. So the wins are just so important to celebrate when you you have them. And in fact, Rob, today is a huge win for Audis. Being able to be on your podcast and being able to deliver the message that Audis is doing in Madagascar and how we're, we're trying to preserve and protect the forest in Madagascar. So this is a huge win. In addition, you, you know, you remember John Nebbett's message when he announced Otis's win of the .org Impact Award. He yes. said that Audis was a brilliant and innovative and impactful in many ways. And then he also went on to say that the judges were impressed with OTIS's holistic approach in all the aspects of our work. So those, when people begin to realize and Begin to voice their their excitement for Audis and the work that we're doing. Those are really true wins, and and I often use his words that it's a holistic approach in describing the work that Audis is doing in Madagascar.
0: Uh, uh, well said, and and again, truly, congratulations. It has been uh, just as an armchair observer, if you want to say that, that to see Audis get more information out there. It's it's getting a larger platform thanks to the .org Impact Award that you won and then getting on the podcast. I'm hoping this will spread the word because I do think your approach, your mission and how you're going about your work is so critical. And it's really, it's a good model. And that's why I'm hoping to let my listeners know more about it. And hopefully they'll find out more about you and your organization, which I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can connect with you in just a second. But I also want to ask another question about the current state of nonprofits. And especially in light of COVID. Now here we are, two years after really the pandemic really hit hard, and we're you know mass mandates are being dropped now, and and things are starting to feel like they're getting back to normal. But I think everyone's a little bit unsure what does this look like, this new normal, right after two years of being in COVID. Now here's what's interesting: when it comes to nonprofits, and this is actually a bit sobering, honestly, for nonprofit leaders who are listening. Recent research has showed this when it comes to uh, current nonprofits. About seven to eight percent of current nonprofits are technically insolvent right now. Seven to eight percent are technically insolvent. Thirty percent of nonprofits have lost money over the last three years, and then fifty percent, half of all nonprofits, have less than one month of operation reserves. So I thought that's really interesting. I'll say that one again. 50%, and so half of all nonprofits, this is across the board, all types, international, local, domestic, have less than one month of operation reserves on hand. And I think that's concerning, honestly, for all of us in the nonprofit world, right? Because that's just too much living on the edge, even though there's sort of some benefits of nonprofits who are you know pushing the edge in a good way of really taking risks, but there's always this idea that you want to have more than just a month of, or certainly more than less than a month of uh, operating reserves. All right, so having said that, These stats don't just apply to small nonprofits. Actually, this is all nonprofits, again, of all sizes. So just because you're a larger nonprofit and maybe you're listening to this, like, well, we're large and we're kind of immune to this. Not necessarily. These challenges are, uh, again, impacting all of us. I think COVID just sped that process up in terms of the pressure, perhaps, or the urgency to make changes. So for you at Audis, obviously, you've been successful. You're growing. You're getting the word out more. What's your advice to nonprofit leaders listening to this show when it comes to fundraising? Because I know it's one of your roles. And what has helped you not only survive, but actually thrive over the last three years? Well, I have to say, Audis is kind of in a unique
1: situation. Much of our funding comes from the sale of carbon credits. So, due to the reduction of CO2 emissions from the stoves we build, I know some people are critical of carbon credits, but for Audis, this funding that we receive from them has allowed us to grow continuously over the last twenty years. So, and carbon credits have allowed us to price the stoves to make it affordable for the people of Madagascar. So, the fact that people in Madagascar are making on average two dollars a day, there's no way that we could produce a stove at that price that they could afford. So, the the donations and the funding that we receive help supplement that that price anyway. So, the additional funding comes from donations from um, businesses, churches, and individuals in, mostly in Switzerland at this point, who understand the importance of what we're doing in Madagascar and uh, have continued to make long-term donations to Audis. And then evidence of our financial security is that we actually have enough funding currently to be able to last for another year and a half. So,
0: um, Well done. So you're breaking that mold there. Good job. We are in
1: the sense that the carbon credits have really helped us out, and as we continue to grow in the U.S., um, I'm hoping that people in the U.S. will recognize the importance of Madagascar and the, the unique biodiversity in the country, and how important that is, and that they will help also help us in in helping to grow so that we can reach our continued growth in stove production.
0: Well, great job to have more than a year and a half of reserve. That's fantastic. That is definitely unusual, so well done. Keep up the good work. And, and it's interesting to see how those carbon credits have really benefited your organization and the people that you're serving in Madagascar. All right, so one last question. As we think about we, you know, the future, as we look into the future, what would you say are the biggest challenges facing your organization first? And then what are the biggest factors impacting the nonprofit sector as a whole right now, in your opinion?
1: Well, overall, challenges for artists is actually being able to keep our stove production ahead of the demand for wood. Um, The population's growing, and so we need to keep producing stoves, and we need to increase our stove production. But it's also our demand for stoves is growing too, so we need to keep ahead of that. We're working on that, and we have that built into our plan for the near future um, up till we have a plan out to 2030. We need to continue to create awareness in Madagascar about the state of the forest so that people understand that they can, actually can contribute to benefiting the forest, you know, that they can reduce the demand for wood and that, that they understand that there is an alternative way of cooking. And then once every real, everybody realizes that and that they start taking part in that, that's when they become in the, invested in the outcome of the forest. So they become much more protective of the forest. And then when that happens, I have no doubt that Madagascar will again be called the Green Island. And then for individually, my challenges are um, getting everyone in the U.S. to recognize how important and beautiful Madagascar is, how there are over 100 species of lemur in Madagascar that are either threatened or critically unthreatened, and there are organizations in Madagascar working on that. But I think some of our biggest successes come in partnership with other organizations. So it's about continuing partnerships with other NGOs in Madagascar, whether it's local malagasy ngos who are doing reforestation with us you know we work with like i said ngos from madagascar for reforestation or community groups that have come to us and said we we would like you to help us reforest this area and so they are then the owners of that that land and those trees and they maintain them and, and ensure their their viability so it's all about partnerships because we concentrate on stoves we do some reforestation and environmental education, but there are other groups that are strictly reforestation and they're covering much more land and doing work such as that. So it's, it's important to maintain these partnerships and be able to work together to have one goal, which is Madagascar.
0: I love your vision. And I love what you said about uh, have Madagascar or the Green Island again. I think that's a great vision uh, statement for and, a, and something to aim for. So well done. Well, for my listeners who are listening to this and want to find out a little bit more what you're doing and maybe find out more about you, how can they find out more about Audis and uh, maybe connect with you? So
1: we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram page, and we have our website. And our website is audis-solaire, S-O-L-A-I-R-E.org. And I just want to thank my team in Switzerland before we go who has supported me and my ideas some of them crazy about Madagascar and I also want to thank the employees who work in Madagascar and make a difference every day they really do and Rob I want to thank you for the opportunity to tell your listeners about the great work that Audis is doing to save the forests in Madagascar
0: absolutely well Josh it's been a pleasure to have you on the show keep up the great work and again to shout out to the rest of your team that are listening all the way from Switzerland thanks for being on the show today thank you